Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Where do you live? What is your address? As I thought about it this past week, I realized the answer to that question is a very important one to all of us. It's one of the key things we have to decide, isn't it? The psychologist Abraham Maslow said that issue of shelter was right at the bottom of all the needs we have, basic needs. We need to settle it, he said, before we can go on to other kinds of things, esteem needs, self-actualizations, and so forth. So I ask you the question, where do you live? What's your address? I realized that as I thought back over my life, there were many addresses at which I lived, either as a young person growing up with my family or as an adult, that I remember to this day. I didn't even have to look them up. As a child in the elementary school grades of five through seven, for about two, well, a little over two years, my family lived in Keene, Texas, in a house my dad built. The address, 108 Woodlawn, Keene, Texas, 76059. Still remember that clearly. I remember clearly where I lived in the graduate dorm when I was a seminary student at Andrews University. 402 University Towers slash Berman Hall, Andrews University, Berrien Springs, Michigan, 49104. These are important realities, and they came back to me. I remember the first place where Anita and I lived when we were married, 1400 Barton Road, number 313, Redlands, California, 92373. There was one I remembered that wasn't the easiest one. I was kind of surprised I remembered it. I went on Google Maps to make sure, and sure enough, I found it. I was in my early teen years. We were living in Mexico at the time. I'm even going to put this one up on the screen because it's a bit of a challenge. It was 25 25, Ixtaxiwal, Ciudad del Sol, Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. I'm surprised I remembered it after all these years. But just the fact that I remembered and you remember underlines how important the answer to that question is. Where do you live? It's a question I'm asking you this morning, but I'm not asking it of your physical address. I'm asking it of your soul. Where does your soul dwell? Where does it live? Where does it abide? Today we begin a three-part sermon series, a three-part study in John chapter 15. John the 15th chapter, in that chapter, Jesus unpacks the discipleship's relationship to three key realities in his or her world. The discipleship's relationship to Jesus, the discipleship's relationship to other disciples, and the disciples' relationship to the world around him or her. 
And so today we begin with the disciples' relationship to Jesus. And we begin with the question, where does your soul live? I ask you that question because of a word that appears in the passage today. In just a moment, when we read the passage, you're going to hear the word. You're going to see it time and time and time again. It appears eight times in the first eight verses in the English text, seven times in the Greek text. We'll be reading from the New International Version. That version renders the word as remain, remain. Other versions render it differently. Some say abide. One says, live. I prefer the word dwell. But they all have to do with where our soul lives. You see, in the original, it's the verb form of a word that appears one chapter earlier in John 14. Very familiar passage. Do you remember these words? Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. There's the word. That's the word over in John 15, which we're about to read, except in John 15, it's the verb form of the word. So I ask, where does your soul abide? Where does it dwell? So today we begin reading John, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1. Here's what John records that Jesus said. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean, pruned in other words, because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine, Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. There are two qualities to the conversation Jesus has in these chapters with his disciples, especially right here in the first part of John 14. Two qualities. They actually seem to be in opposition to each other. There's a tension between them. We have to take note of these two qualities, for they will form everything else that we understand about today's passage. The first quality is that it is slow. It's slow. That's the first one. The second quality is that it is urgent. Urgent. Those two qualities stay there, remain there, stand there in tension with each other. Slow, but urgent. So let's take note of what that means in this passage. 
we begin with slow. This is a slow, thoughtful, deep, spiritual conversation. You can picture Jesus and the disciples moving through the vineyards as they leave the upper room on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. The moonlight splashes across their pathway. And Jesus, noticing the vine and the branches and the fruit, the grapes on the vine, draws spiritual lessons and begins to talk to them slowly and deeply about the realities of the disciples' life and the disciples' relationship to him. He uses the extended metaphor of the vine, the branches, and the fruit. The gardener hovering over it all. So first, we have to notice the cast. Cast is very simple. The Father, God, the Father, is the gardener. Jesus is the vine. We, as his disciples, are the branches. That's the cast. Secondly, the roles. What roles does each member of the cast play? The Father is the gardener, and so he prunes the plant. Painful process. He prunes the plant. Jesus, as the vine, gives of his life to the branches. And the branches? Well, they need to stay attached to the vine. That's their role. What is the desired outcome for each of these cast members and their roles? The desired outcome for the Father is what Old Testament Israel never became a fruitful vineyard. Time and again, the prophets and the psalmists refer to that, God's deep disappointment that Israel never did live out her role as God's vine. So, the desired outcome for the Father in this case is that it be a fruitful vine, a fruitful vineyard. What's the desired outcome for the vine, for the Son? It's the joy that comes from giving his life to his disciples and seeing them thrive. And what's the desired outcome for the branches, for you, for me? The desired outcome is that we bear fruit. That we bear fruit, that we be fruitful vines, that we live this lifelong, life-changing journey with Jesus called discipleship in a way that is fruitful. So how is that done? The answer is so simple and so obvious, I feel almost embarrassed to point it out. It's the most obvious thing in the entire metaphor. The answer is the way we become fruitful vines is we remain attached to the vine, fruitful branches rather, we remain attached to the vine and we endure the gardener's pruning. The one key reality is we have to remain attached to the vine because if the attachment breaks off, even a child can tell you that a branch that is detached from the tree, from the bush, from the vine will never bear fruit, no matter how much focus there is on bearing it. Not genuine fruit. 
So the task of the disciple is to tend to the realities of remaining connected to the vine. And that's why over and again in this passage, Jesus says, remain, abide, live, dwell, because without that, there is no way forward. Abide in me. I will abide in you, says Jesus. In other words, make the address of your soul's home, Jesus. That has to be your address, Jesus' way in the township of the kingdom of God. You're worried that you're not producing fruit? You're worried that your life is not fruitful and effective? Don't focus on that. Focus on that deep, decided connection to the vine. Years ago, Morris Vinden, in speaking on this very metaphor in John 15, quoted a little verse that we in California ought to relate to. Here are the words. Way out in California where the sunbeams shine, a little grape was hanging on a big grape vine. The mama grape said, careful, don't get too much sun, because grapes turn into raisins when they're well done. Ah, who's afraid of sunshine, said the grape quite bold, as out in the vineyard in the sun he rolled. But after several hours when he felt his head, sure enough, he'd shriveled up and withered like his mother said. A farmer came and tossed him in a big great crate. A little lady raisin met the same sad fate. The lady raisin whispered, Are you man or grape? There isn't any raisin why we can't escape. They sought the nearest exit and they rolled straight home. And now they're in the vineyard, never more to roam. That's why on every grapevine, you will always see a couple of raisins hanging where the grapes should be. Boys and girls, you get the lesson, don't you? It's that simple lesson that if I detach and try to take the world on on my own, I cease to be fruitful. I don't remain. That's the slow element of this conversation. You can't deal with these realities of the deep life of the disciple's heart, of how that disciple can grow and thrive and bless others. You can't deal with the realities of living and dwelling and abiding in Jesus in a hurry. In fact, and I'm preaching to myself here, though you're welcome to eavesdrop. In fact, the spiritual life cannot be lived in a hurry. The life of the disciple cannot be lived by a hand on the doorknob, a quick prayer as you race out into an overwhelmed world. It requires slowness, depth, abiding, to be fruitful. It requires time 
listening for the Spirit through the Word. It requires time opening your heart to God as to a friend in prayer. It is in those deep, lingering times before God that your connection deepens. And yet, tragically, I've lived long enough with my own self as well as with dearly beloved friends like you to know too many times we think we have a relationship when there is no communion of any depth that is taking place. Let me ask you a question. The kind of time you're giving to God, you're allowing Jesus to dwell in you, the kind of time you're connecting to Him and deepening and living in Him, if the kind of time you're giving right now, you gave this week, was the consistent time you gave to a boyfriend, to a girlfriend, to a husband, to a wife, to a parent, to a child, how happy would they be with that relationship? Every time you rush through, hi, bye, gotta go. Is that deepening? The fruit grows slowly. It grows only because it is connected to the vine. So what kind of fruit, you ask? Well, maybe it's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe it's that kind of fruit. Maybe it's the kind of fruit of sharing your journey with Jesus with others, and they become fruit in your life as they establish a relationship with Him and grow, and then perpetuate themselves by handing that on to someone else. Or maybe it's the fruit of obedience, of living your life in harmony with that to which God calls you. If it's that last one, don't forget this quote, desire of ages. I love this quote. When we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our lives will be lives of continual obedience. That immediately places knowing God as the cause, as Maury Vinden said years ago, and obeying Him as the result. That's the slow reality of this passage. Can't be done in a hurry. But there's a second quality present in this passage. Something that we enter into that we capture and see if we put this passage in its context. It's an urgent time as well. You remember, after all, where they are. They're leaving the upper room on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will do battle with the evil one. He will do battle with his own desires to shrink away from that which is coming upon him. And then he will face the cross. In other words, words, the cataclysmic forces of evil are about to burst forth upon this little band. The storm clouds are roiling. The lightning is flashing. The thunder is rolling. Soon the ground will be moving beneath their feet as history is split in two by a cross on a lonely hill. The very hordes of hell will vent their fiendish fury upon Jesus, upon these disciples. 
And Jesus, in these lingering moments before the fury of the storm breaks upon them, talks with them. What would you say at a moment like that? Don't you think he would say, be careful, because they're coming to get you. There's a conspiracy let out by the religious leaders. The priest is behind it. The high priest is there. The Roman government's in on it. They're coming for you. Wouldn't that be what he would tell them? Wouldn't he speak to them of all the horror that was happening, of the horrible condition of the planet, of the deep dark night and the spiritual souls of so many? Wouldn't he focus on that, telling them to gird up your loins and get ready because it's going to be bad? It's urgent. In fact, Jesus has been telling them some of those things. In the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, three times on their journey toward Jerusalem, Jesus warns them, I'm going to be arrested, captured, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and I will rise again. And they heard him say it, but it didn't register. So now here's his one last chance, one final opportunity to warn them and let them know what's about to break. And what does he say? He says, dwell in me. Abide in me. That's how John records what happened. The other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record something else that happened. They record that when they arrived at Gethsemane and Jesus had pulled in those three, Peter, James, and John, to whom he was particularly close, he said to them, watch and pray with me. It's another way, isn't it, of saying, abide with me, dwell in me, live in me. And they didn't hear it. And because they didn't hear it, when the storm burst upon them, they fled like scared rabbits looking for any address, any home address, any hole in the ground, any tree, any place where they could hide and feel sheltered and safe. Because they didn't abide. It's an urgent message though not the message you might expect at an urgent moment. Friends, let me talk to you clearly. We live in a difficult time. In my lifetime, at least as I can remember it, I don't know that I've ever seen a more challenging time globally and domestically on every front. Nature, illness, poverty, racial strife and tension, injustice, and conspiracies on every hand. In fact, in today's world, one does not know whom one can believe. I hear you saying that to me time and time and time again. It's the end of the world, you say. Friends, let me be clear. I hope it is. 
I pray that Jesus will come and put this planet out of its misery and fully and finally establish the kingdom of God. But I cannot tell you that's about to happen. I don't know. I do know it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets a whole lot better. And I do know something else. In all the cacophony of sound we hear around us, all of the voices screaming for attention, tell us what we have to do, telling us where to turn, telling us where to look, we often miss the one voice that matters. It's a voice that is slow and urgent. It's a voice that whether you're talking about the lifelong, life-changing journey of discipleship with Jesus, you need to hear, or a voice that if you're talking about facing the fury of the storm ahead, you even need to hear more. It's a voice that says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. And then says repeatedly, remain in me, live in me, dwell in me, abide in me. How could he make it more clear? So friends, I don't know what it is that brings fear to your heart as the world shakes and creaks on its hinges. I don't know in what way you feel like your life may not be fruitful in the vineyard of the gardener. But I do know this. We need him every hour, every moment, every second. We need that attachment to the vine that we might bear the fruit He wills for us throughout our lives, and we might have the fruit of submission, obedience, and grace when the storm strikes. Abide in me.